They sin. God says, where are you? Where are you? Then we remember Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God. Some people say he wrestled with an angel of God, and some say he wrestled with God himself. And God asked Jacob, what is your name? Did God not know his name? Remember what he asked Moses. What is in your hand? Did, did, did God not see that he had a staff in his hand? Of course, the staff to Moses, broom or a mop to a janitor, or a wrench for a mechanic, and something God would use for great things. But remember what the question he asked Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, Jesus asked a lot of questions too. Do you remember what the questions that Jesus asked as well? Questions like, who do you say that I am? What do you want me to do for you? Remember the, the two, I think there are blind beggars or lame. What do you want me to do for you? Didn't Jesus know already? Now, God asks questions in the Bible, probably not to learn about us, because he knows. But God asks questions in the Bible so that we might learn about something from him. The story today that we have revolves around a question God asks twice to Elijah. What are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? So over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Elijah. We've seen that God used him to do mighty things, that Elijah got to see God work in unbelievably huge, crazy, miraculous ways, and then Elijah fell to pieces after a threat that came from a king's wife. So why does God ask Elijah this question? And why is he asking us the question? What does God want us to know about him when he says to us, what are you doing here? And so today we're going to travel to the mountain of called Horeb, which most scholars believe was the same mountain that Moses received his revelation from God and met God. And we're going to look into this question and ponder again, as this series we're pondering, how God is enough for Elijah and how God is enough for us. Please open your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Kings 19, and we will go 9 to 18. And the word of the Lord, well, let's start a little earlier. So he got up and ate and drank, after the story we just read. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he'd reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. Let's all, let's all say it together, shall we? What are you doing here, Elijah? Good job. Amazing. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It sounds like when my wife comes home from a dinner with friends, I kind of say similar things. Anyways, they're trying to kill me too. Anyways, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Wow, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not 
in the earthquake. Has anybody ever been in an earthquake before? Anybody here? Raise your hand. Interesting. They're terrifying. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, maybe even in the whisper, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, he says the same thing. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will, be put, will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I think the first thing or one of the things we can learn from this text is that when we are in the wrong place, God is enough. So this question that we're pondering today is one we ask a lot of our kids when we're parents. What are you doing here? Like the time when one of my kids got stuck got stuck in one of the pantries, wedged, I had to take a picture, put it on social media, got wedged in, got stuck, trying to take some cookies. I knew what he was doing there. And so when you do something stupid like that, you get famous in my family, and you go on social media. And so I asked, what are you doing here? Didn't matter the answer, I knew already, you're stealing cookies. Get that from Jill's side of the family. Or the time Noel was told again and again not to take the makeup from Jill's drawer in the bathroom. I think I've shared that story before you. Jill says, what are you doing here? Noel translated as, you shouldn't be here, and said, Mom, you know I can't help this. God made me like this. Elijah is in a similar situation. Now, not with the makeup, of course, but he's not where he should be. He's not where he should be. He's supposed to be in Israel. He's supposed to be preaching. He's supposed to be telling people to turn away from Baal and go back to God. He is a prophet. That's what prophets are called to do. They're called to a place. They're called to a task. Warn the people. Encourage the people. Rebuke the people. And try to get them in your ministry back to God. But it's not working. And so Elijah, he gets out of Dodge. He's done. He He releases his servant. He asked God to relieve him of his very life. He can't even die by his own hand. And he's done. And he's not just a little done either. And after some coffee and biscuits, although it says water and bread, he takes the journey to Horeb, which is a wonderful place. It's Mount Sinai. It's a wonderful place. It's a great place. It's where The law was given to Moses. It's a spiritual place. It's a special place. It's where the prophetic ministry is launched. Moses is the first prophet. It is a wonderful place to be, but it's not the place that Elijah was supposed to be. He's in a great place, but he's in the wrong place. He's not supposed to be here. That's why God asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Amazing place, meaningful place, wrong place. That is the point of this question. And what, well, the one of the points. And God asked the question, not once but twice. So what does God do? God says to Elijah, I think it's one of the virgins, God says to Elijah, Elijah, I'm not talking to you anymore until you get back to the right place. Elijah, get your crap together. I'm not going to talk to you until you get back to, to Israel and I'm going to give you power in your ministry again. No, no, no. No, God's there. God's gracious. And God's good to Elijah and God has a conversation with Elijah and God shows up in the wrong place. How many people have you met who don't know God and you kind of say, yeah, go to church and yeah, you should come and, yeah, it's, and they say, you, would, you have no idea where I've been. If God knew where I've been, he would never accept me. A lot of us think like that. We think, well, you know what? I, I've got to be in the right mind for God to kind of have fellowship with me to get my life back on the right space. I have to do the right things. I have to be in the right spot. And when I'm in the right spot, then I'll take God seriously. And so when we find ourselves stuck in a trough of sin or in a place where we feel like we've strayed in our relationship with God, we build up the wall with God. He doesn't build up the wall with us. I mean, on Father's Day, we looked at the story of the prodigal son. And we see, not in that sermon, but what I've seen before in the story, is all of a sudden, the son comes while he's with the pigs, and he says, Ah, I've sinned against my father, and I've sinned against God. That's God working in a place like that. In the worst places, God is there. In the worst places, God is there. In the worst places in your life, God is there. He's there. And he's enough. And you don't need to pull yourself out. God's there. And he wants to have fellowship with you. And he wants to show himself to you. It's we who build up the walls, not God. So maybe you are far off. And maybe you are distant with God. And you are convinced until this, 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 God has and wants nothing to do with you. It's not the case. Elijah was in the wrong place. And God showed up in an amazing way. And the same is true with us. He's good. He's everywhere, even in the worst places. Another thing we learn from this story is that when doing God's work seems futile, God is enough. And so that is why he's here. That is why Elijah's here. He says it twice. He is sick of it. Listen to what he says. I'll read it again. I already read it twice. Oh, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty, which is you. The Israelites reject your covenant. His whole job was to say, embrace the covenant, by the way. Ha, it didn't work. They've tore down your altars, which means they've taken bulldozers to the churches, okay? If they had churches. They even put the prophets to death. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He, is, he has come to the ultimate what's the point moment in his life. What's the point? I mean, listen to the implied what's the point in all these complaints. I've been zealous for the Lord. What's the point? The Israelites have rejected your covenant. What's the point? They've torn down your altars. What's the point? They've killed your prophets. 
What's the point? Elijah's doing all this godly work, this ministry work, and it's blowing up in his face. What is the point? I mean, come on, you can relate to that, can't you? You can relate to that. You raise your kids with prayer, devotion, church. They haven't been in church in years. What's the point? Maybe you're a single person. You'd love to find someone to settle down with and have a family with. You've done all the right things. And you see all of your friends on Tinder and they're living this way. And it seems they're way further ahead than you. What's the point? Or you have a business. And you and your wife or your partner in the business say, you know what? We are doing this the right way. We are going to be straight. We're going to have integrity. We're going to treat people right. We're not going to cut corners. And it seems like all the, other cor- the, all the other companies that don't give a rat's you-know-what are way further ahead than you. What's the point? I heard a story one time of a missionary couple. They went to a Muslim country to evangelize. They were there 40 years in not one convert. What's the point? I mean, you don't, you don't feel like Elijah sometimes? I mean, what gives here? Well, Elijah's about to find out. God says to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And so a wind so powerful, it made the rocks roll down the mountain. God wasn't in that. And then the earth shook. Now again, I've been in one little earthquake. I remember I was in my bed in mission, and I was awake, and... All I heard was every single board in my house crack. The whole house shutters went crack. And I was like, okay, I'm terrified. But this was a big earthquake. And it wasn't in that either. And then a huge fire. Fire always symbolizes the presence of God in the Bible. But he wasn't there. And then he comes in the whisper. Now I have to say I've read the story many times. I've studied this story a lot. But it wasn't until this past week that it finally hit me. What's God saying to Elijah? And what's he saying to you? What is the significance of not being in this tornado or this huge windstorm that's rolling huge boulders down the mountain or or the earthquake or the fire? What is God trying to get through to Elijah? What's he trying to get through to us? Maybe that God doesn't do things the things the way we think he should. Maybe that God's got a different schedule, different purposes, different plans, and different ways of doing what he does. Maybe that God doesn't report to us. Hey, God, I don't like an answer on that. You know, we're pretty tight. Maybe God doesn't do things that way. Maybe he doesn't report to us. And maybe it's not our job to try and figure out what he's doing and just trust him. Depend on him. You see, all the while, Elijah, and we read the story, it's it's crushing. I see it with Elijah. It's like, man. And it doesn't appear that Elijah's doing anything. All Elijah, even when God comes in a huge miracle, no no one changes. That's all he wants to see is change. It's all regress, no progress. The country slides further down the cliff. And and then God makes the point, Elijah, I don't fight like the world does, brother. 
or human. I don't fight like that. My kingdom does not come through force, but it comes through the whisper. And we know that as Christians. We know this. Because the epicenter of our faith, where it all changed for all of history, came through a whisper. It didn't come through a cannon. It didn't come through a conquest. It came through a whisper. It is finished. The Jews were looking for like battering rams, catapults, chariots, the finest stallions. They were looking for a Messiah to shake things up. And they saw Jesus and they got their swords. We know that because Peter got his sword and he cut off a guy's ear. And they're ready to rumble, man, with this new king. And it wasn't waged like that. It was waged in a whisper. It is finished. So maybe stop looking in your life at all the ways you think God should be doing a better job and just trust him because he's working. He's working. This is so encouraging for you and for us. Keep praying for those kids. Keep praying for your neighbors. Keep praying for God to provide in your life. And trust Him. Don't, some of you guys have checklists. Well, I would like this to happen then. And I'd like this to happen then. I'm like, you're not your own. You are not your own. You've been bought. And He is large and He is in charge and He's on the throne. Amen? I always remember a pastor of mine. He was a mentor for a short time. His pastor, his name was Ken Kuman. He says, Grant... All I do is work like prayer doesn't work, and I pray like work doesn't work, and I just trust God all the way through. When it all seems futile, God is enough. I love this last, this last point. You know when you've had enough? When you've had enough? When you've had enough, God is enough. It says, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. So this is Damascus. Damascus is north of Israel, Syria. Then it was Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. What's happening now is God is listening to Elijah. Elijah's tired. He's weary. I don't know how old Elijah is at this point. But he's finished. He's finished. And God is a good father, isn't he? He sees Elijah. He knows Elijah. Elijah cries out. And this is what God doesn't say. Suck it up, sunshine. I gave you a task. Get back there. You're my son. And I don't make quitters. That's not what God says. No, he says to Elijah, go back. Anoint Hazael. Anoint Jehu. And anoint Elisha who would be his replacement. In other words, God says to Elijah, finish well, you got stuff to do, and these guys are going to take it on from here. And you're done. Now here's the thing. (laughs) The truth is, sometimes you feel like you're done, and you're not done. Parents, it's like this sometimes, right? I'm so done. He's 45, he lives in the basement. Okay, that's when you can be done. Boot him out. 
But you're in it. You're in the grind, man. Your kids are young, and they're pulling you this way, and the yogurt containers are flying on the wall, and you're just like, Lord, I'm so done. No, you're not done, actually. But when you feel done, God is enough. And sometimes in a marriage, man, you guys are slugging it out. You're not seeing eye to eye, but you know you made a commitment, and, man, we both feel done. That's a great time to get on your knees and just say, God, we feel done. God is enough. You know, often in marriage counseling, I will say that. I will say that to these young, pie-eyed, nothing will ever happen to us. We're going to love each other forever. And I'm like, you wait. <laughs> Sometimes I just get Jill to stand rhyme and just smack him right in the back of the head. Just kidding. It's like, you just wait. There will be times when all you can do is get on your knees and say, we're done, Lord. And he is so gracious. He's enough. Sometimes you feel done in the faith. Sometimes you're like, I don't even know what to think anymore. All these ideas of the world, and I, yeah, that's a good idea, and that's a good idea. I don't know if I trust, I haven't prayed to. I just, Lord, I feel so done. Those are great moments to have with God. God, I feel done in my faith. Some of the most intimate times in my life have been when I'm just like, God, like I, I just feel so done, and he's like, I'm there. It's probably true in yours as well. But sometimes we feel like we're done, and we're done. And God is enough there too. Now some of you didn't know our friend Dorothy. I'm going to talk about Dorothy again. I miss Dorothy. Dorothy was a woman that went to our church for, I think, 10 years. And Dorothy had probably every ailment you could imagine. The last few years, she hardly came to church because she physically couldn't. But Dorothy, and you guys can attest to this, whoever went to Dorothy's place. When you went to Dorothy's apartment, you always left better than when you came. Can I testify? Am I testif- can you testify? <laughs> Sorry, that's what I'm doing. You always felt better. You're like, this woman can hardly get out of a chair. You always left better. But she struggled with her health. Oh, if it wasn't one thing, it was the other. So last fall, she went into the hospital for the last time. And I remember she was in an emergency. She's looking, you know, she looked pretty good. And she says, Grant, I think I'm done. What do you think about that? I said, I don't think you're done. <laughs> and I tried to convince her, like, hey, you know, we still need you around. And your kids, blah, 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 blah. she says, no, Grant, I think I'm done. I just don't think I can do this anymore. What do you think God thinks about that? And I said to her, I think God gets it. And a month later, God took her home. Dorothy's with Jesus now. Now that's an extreme example. But sometimes you're done and you're just done. And God is there. Elijah was done. He was done. And God's like, okay, but you got to finish well, and I will be there for you. Isn't God good? Isn't he gracious? And so what we get from this whole ordeal in, in Elijah's life, that God speaks to us, is no matter who you are, God's enough. No matter what you've done, God's enough. 
No matter where you've been and where you are, he is enough. Let's pray. God, I thank you. We thank you. We thank you. This nation of Israel was just a train wreck. No one could ever see how anything redemptive would come out of these people. The people of Judah were just trailing right behind. These people were a wreck. How could anything good come of this? And yet you came as a baby and you lived and you died and you changed it all with a whisper. It is finished. Father, for all of us who feel done, for all of us who need your grace and encouragement, we ask, help us take the barriers down and meet with you so that we can receive your whisper. In your name, amen.